Hello and welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm James Carey. I'm Dave Cohen. And what a treat we have got for you today. We have the godfathers, the dukes, oh, yes. the kings, the kings of the comedy. Undisputed kings. Of undisputed comedy. kings of comedy. Of comedy writing. Absolutely. And um, they are Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet. Their CV is frankly an embarrassment of, of riches. We start with the likely lads in the 1960s, and then we just keep going. Yeah. Uh, whatever happened to the likely lads, of course. Alf Wiedersehenpet, Porridge. Yeah. And Lovejoy, uh, they, Love, they, yeah. as well, is, is, is yeah. partly their, their doing. Yeah, the commitments. Yeah. Um, and, just, and then numerous films, and yeah. also numerous uncredited yeah. films as well. And have we mentioned Alf Wiedersehenpet at this point? I, I think we know. did mention Alf Wiedersehenpet, oh, right, but okay. we should mention it again, because yes. it is the elusive comedy drama... Uh, that we asked them about in the interview. So we're very excited um, to play this interview to you. Hope you enjoy it, and we'll speak to you on the other side. So for the benefit of the listener, we attended last night a Q&A um, uh, with, with Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet, who are wonderfully here. Thank you so much for being with us. I was really tickled that you... The first influence that you referenced was Richmond Crompton's William books, um, and the moment you said Terry is Terry isn't William quite, but that self righteousness I think is there. And I've been I've been playing these uh, to my kids now because uh, Martin Jarvis reads them just beautifully. He clearly adores them. He was wonderful, Martin Jarvis. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so. Was this an influence for both of you? Was it conscious, or do you sort of look back and just go, oh, well, maybe we were... We, we didn't. Uh, I mean, we've written a book, which is coming out in September. Oh, hello. And, and we acknowledge mm. the, the Richard Crompton <laughs> debt in that. But it, it, it was something... I can't remember when we first discussed it amongst ourselves, but I, when we were first looking for, for plots, mm. you know, we, we, we remember that she never minded whether William won or lost... That was a big, as, as long as it was a good and satisfying ending. Yeah. That was, you know, so sometimes he gets dumped in the clarts, as they say. Yeah. And sometimes he comes out triumphant, you know, but both stories work. And that I was, think when we first got to know each other, yeah. and when you think about we wrote the, what would be the pilot mm. of The Likely Lads, even though it was an exam, we were still getting to know each other, what our interests were. Yeah. Obviously cinema, when yeah. the movies, uh, music, the me, you know, media, the arts, all, all different stuff, football. And it obviously must have come up William books. With the, we both love William books. So I think what happened was when we were commissioned and looked at each other <laughs> about writing six episodes, yeah, yeah. I think one of us said, why don't we, <laughs> let's go and, jokingly, let's go and find some plots and just William. Yeah. And then we laughed. And then probably we both went home yeah. and got the books out. William yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. William the Pirates. Obviously, William and the Pirates yeah. wouldn't work. Yeah. But, but she, she was, yeah. I mean, all her work were magnificently little plotted short yeah. stories. Yeah. You were, you were adapting or uh, homaging, I think. Homaging. You weren't. Yeah, yeah that's it. I, I love Violet Elizabeth Bott. Oh, my God. You used to say, I'll squeam and I'll squeam and I'll squeam yeah. until I'm thick. Yeah. You know I can. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> those, that, those last four words, yeah. I absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, People forget real, those words. But yeah. also, I love, I love William's sort of begrudging admiration for her. He wishes he could be sick on cue. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, sure. And sure. so the way the outlaws kind of sort of admit that they've got an adversary in this ball of energy that they just can't stand, but can't I remember. I remember one where, where William had two nasty boys, or two, two very posh boys who were driving him crazy, and they were held up as paragons of virtue. So he decided to, uh, to do a sketch for the village fate or something, yeah. and he called them... He said, you can be damn and you can be blast. And he came on and said, oh, damn and blast, where, where can I find my clothes? Mm-hmm. Except I don't think he had that line. Right, he gave yeah. it to the one he didn't like. You right. know? And they were outraged that he would swear at the village fleet. Yeah. I, was staying, I was staying with friends in Barnes um, 20 years ago or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, Audrey, my host who lives there, said, oh, look at this in, in the Barnes newspaper. There was an ad, William Books for sale. I was round there in ten minutes. Wow! Originals, you know, yeah. Com- yeah. broken oh, spines, yeah. smell of print, yeah. the original nineteen twenties, thirties drawings, wow. and I bought a dozen. Wow! Yeah. Oh, that's and and I gave one name dropping to Tom Stoppard, 
a wow. William fan. And when he, he was so excited when I gave it to him, I realized that's where he gets his plots too. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing that's, because uh, uh, John Cleese always sort of famously jokes, some people say, where do you get your ideas from? And he always says, joking, says, oh, there's, there's a woman in Hartlepool or something like that, 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 you know. And actually, it's the William books. And I wonder if William is also a bit of a gateway drug to P.G. Woodhouse. I, I never read P.G. Woodhouse. Okay. Um, and when I first went to America, and they, you found, people found out I was English, they used to say, Pip, Pip, Albin. And I didn't understand at all what they meant. I, I, thought, they were, I thought they were completely crazy. Right. You know, but I, I never read him. Okay. But I, I, I did read Saki. He was pretty great on plots. Okay. I think one yeah. of the first things we discovered, writing those, you know, writing the first series, was that however good a line is, you know, you can have a very good line, but nothing beats a good situation. That's why it's called yeah. situation comedy. I mean, the first, I think our favourite one in the first series was a, a plot called Older Women Are More Experienced, where there was a, yeah. you know, lady in the canteen and, and they all said, oh, you know, she's okay. And so it was, it was Terry who, who managed to finagle his way round to her house. Mm. And... Uh, and you think that that he's maybe scored, you know, and then you find out that he's she's got him fixing her sink, <laughs> and and he came in and said, "By the cringe, there is now some muck under that sink." But, but that got a huge laugh. Yeah. And you realise that I mean, it, it, it was the situation that was giving you the the laugh, you know, yeah. and it's it's still it's still true, you know, mm. that, that nothing beats a really great situation. Well, that's and and in fact, one of the reasons you're you're uh, over at the moment is uh, we've we've. Uh, we were very lucky to see these uh, two uh, restored uh, old episodes uh, from series two of the Light. Series Lodge. yes, two, um, yes, two. So from about nineteen sixty-five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so um, and and um, it was interesting hearing you talking about it uh, last night, and you 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 were saying that that um, that you kind of were developing it more, pretty much as you went along. It was it was like it was the first thing that you written together uh, and then suddenly you were from a 10 minute sketch you were being asked to write sort of six uh, episodes but I, I was interested in the kind of how on the one hand there was this sort of interesting plots and they're very sort of good stories um, but at the same time we were starting to see flesh out the, 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 the sort of Bob and Terry characters that became so uh, so, so sort of beautifully uh, imagined sort of 10 years later in whatever happened as well but I was just wondering how much uh, you were uh, aware of the their characters developing and how much the, the, the stories helped those characters develop oh I don't think we were aware of them developing at all we just panicked about <laughs> finishing one script with an enormous sigh of relief and then thinking shit <laughs> now they have to write another one I mean you know can you imagine these days probably yeah if we'd been having instructions or we'd got the deal to do this yeah. there would mm-hmm. be a lot of instructions like do they have to have outside lavatories yeah uh, do they have to work and, and they were one of the things you know people would say well what what's the arc of the series yeah you know what is the grand plan mm. well, there was no grand plan no yeah. and the only finishing the nearest finishing a script <laughs> the nearest we got to a grand plan a strategy was deciding to finish episode three Good plan. And how. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, and how. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, not only that, you know. And, we, and it's our favourite episode. Okay. How, I think. Yeah, yeah. But what I was going to say was we wrote by the seat of our pants in those days. You know, we mm. didn't plan. You know, we, we, we didn't work out the ending before we started. We, we wouldn't dream of not doing that now. You know, yeah. you've got to know where you're going. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember the, the, one of our favourite episodes, one of the missing ones, was when they were both going out with the same girl without knowing it. Right. And I can remember halfway through that, we, we said, well, when are they going to find out and when are they going to have that scene? And then we said, what if they never find out until the very last shot of the show? But, but that was really writing by the seat of your pants, but yeah, we hadn't yeah. planned that. It, that's what we did, and it worked, actually. Yeah. And I wish they'd find that in a dumpster and restore it, because yeah. it, was, it was a great episode. I was really struck by that, because I rewatched some episodes of Whatever Happened to Likely Lads, and how you it just felt like you were doing something which I just think we've stopped doing now, where you did end on that, there were moments of realisation, or suddenly it just felt like there's a whole other episode literally about to start that we're not going to see, but we're already imagining it, and we're enjoying mm. it. That and was very different. 
okay. mean, when, because we had so much material in our heads when we started writing What Have Happened To. Yeah. We realized it was, we were writing organically like a serial. Right. In fact, as you said, Dick said on the show last night, you would imagine the revelation, catching up on these guys, yeah. like a new pilot script for a new series and a new era, you would have referenced Terry's marriage in episode one. Yeah, which we did originally. Which we yeah. did originally. Then we thought there's no room for that. Mm-hmm. And we never found room for it in episode two. It's only halfway through episode three. Yeah. Do we reveal that Terry's been... Because I episode am two, a married man. I am a married yeah, man. That's, that's a great bombshell. So there was it? an organic process too, yeah. because we had to say... I said we must have decided we'll end the series with the marriage. Right. Yeah. Mm. And then, then confront the problems of, of another series later. Yeah. So there was a, a development in... in the first series of whatever happened to which never existed in the original likely mm-hmm. that. Uh, the, the question I was thinking as you were, as, as when, whenever I'm thinking about people starting out in the, in the 60s um, with these sorts of things, I can't quite work out whether, because um, we talk, we're talking to and, a, and about lots of people as well who are trying to get going now, and it just feels like now comedy is so flipping important and every new comedy is scrutinised and criticised before it gets on air and then after it gets on air. And so, on the, on the one hand, it feels like... Do you think that in, in, in 1964, 65, that you felt under less pressure? Because, ironically, the audiences were massive. You know, the audiences were absolutely enormous. But it feels like there was lots of comedy on. There was a bit of a, well, we'll try this or we'll try this, we'll try this. Whereas now it just feels like any, any fellow sitcom writer that I know who, who they're, who they're, and their sitcom's about to go on TV, I feel like they're a soldier about to go over the top. Mm. And I'm just sort of cheering them on and just hoping I see them again. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can see that because, you know, we, we were dead lucky. Um, and there were only three channels and, you know, um, BBC Two was brand new. Uh, and nobody came near us. I mean, it's like the whole first series... Not one person sort of attended one of the recordings, so, and, and we were quite hurt at the time. But, but, but in hindsight, oh wow, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, they left us alone. Mm. They really did, and and um, so we made our own mistakes. But but uh, uh, we it's didn't. The only have, way to learn, really, you've got to make them. Yeah. We, well, we did a pilot in America. Yes. Uh, with Alan McEwen, uh, with, the, with the company we had, which mm-hmm. was based in London, but in LA. The, and we made a uh, pilot of Lowen Moe's yeah. um, Birds of a Birds Feather, of a feather yeah. with Rosie O'Donnell, it's a big name in America, and mm-hmm. another girl. I think went at the taping in uh, Fox Studios, and I think that we said there were 16 execs in the green room. Giving notes. All, all with their comments, you right, know, after yeah. in the green. 16. Mm-hmm. And they talked themselves out of doing that show it was good pilot Rosie yeah. O'Donnell who I once met subsequently to that said what the fuck happened you know yeah. she said yeah. it's great and they wanted to replace the other actress yeah. and then they said while we're doing that let's do it they, they just they talked they, it they, to they, death they talked yeah. it to death yeah do you think that's a, 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 a general problem now? I mean, across TV. I'm sorry to interrupt, but when I said Lewin Moore, I meant Grands and Marks. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, they, 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 that, that feels like it's a sort of general problem, kind of just what, uh, in a sense, what you're saying yeah. uh, is, and, and it, uh, apart from the opprobrium of, of, of social media or whatever, if, you know, like a, a minute into your the f- episode one of your show, if it's not absolutely hitting the mark and hilarious everyone's on social media saying what's this crap you know yeah, and, yeah. And, and and the executives are as nervous of that as they are just of kind of they, they, they don't trust their own opinions yeah. anymore well we've just experienced that you see because um up until we did the new porridge in henry nine we hadn't written hmm. comedy television for a long time and then when we did the, the new porridge hmm. Uh, you know, talk about the old one. There's all the buzz of the audience, and actually, was that buzz was yeah. back with the Manchester audience filling yeah. up. Mm-hmm. It was just like it, except there was a pervasive air of nervousness around the whole thing. Right. That the it's the the day after, we're finding that it, it everyone's checking not what the papers say when they say yeah social media okay social media sabotaged that show 
Right. I mean, they, yeah. the, whoever made the final decision at the BBC mm. was affected by social media, yeah. not, not the review in the Daily Mail. We, we, we like the show. We, so there was always that, not, as you say, yeah. that tension. Yeah. It, will it ever survive? Yeah. Mm. There was obviously, you, you were expecting uh, the, the, the basic thing of how can you, how dare you, yeah. you know, tamper with a classic. You know, you know that going in. Yeah. yeah. But uh, we felt we'd avoided that very well. And we thought mm. that the, the show had its own merits and stood on its own feet. Mm. And we were, we were fully poised to do another series, and it was nip and tuck. Mm. But I think social media really, that's a, that's a big uh, new area that Nobody you never had to deal with well, before. I'm just yes, yeah. but I'm talking about, the, you were talking about the tension. people, yeah. And yeah. we were just aware of it. And, you know, Rachel Parridge, it's a show's gone out. That yeah. hopefully gets a lot of people. Yeah. But this was, well, we don't know. Well, that did well. Oh, my God. Well, it was all the time. And you, yeah. you just kept thinking. And phone calls, daily phone calls from Shane and people. Yeah. And you're thinking, in this atmosphere, you know, this what is, is probably it, not going to What's his achieving? Yeah. 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 I think there's also, uh, and, you know, I'm, I remember, I, I have a very vague memory of it was I was about some seven or eight years old when uh, and, and so I was watching the likely lads and Steptoe uh, and, and so uh, but Dave is older than me yeah <laughs> considerably um, but uh, the um, TV was a thing that wasn't it wasn't comedies this and sitcom is that and that it was like you 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 had the same, and I experienced it last night watching the, the two episodes from 1965. They were very much, you know, this is a studio sitcom. It's actors performing like, a, like in a play, but there's lots of funny things happening. But you also, at the same time, you had things like the sort of play for today. And I, I remember, you know, sort of as I got a bit older and was watching those, and they were kind of, they, everything looked the same. And, you know, we, we joke now about sort of Doctor Who and the wobbly sets and everything like that. And that but it, that's kind of how telly was made then, wasn't it? It wasn't just, right, this is the, the world of, the, this is comedy. Yeah. So it has to be, you know, and there has to be X number of gags per moment there's much more of a sense of even a comedy is like a one-act play and I suppose what's happened with the sort of rise of stand-up as well then you get much more that you have to hit the gag mm. and you hit the gag and then you don't uh, you sort of lose sight of the story I mean mm. have you have you found that much we that weren't over? aware of that in the UK Right. Uh, mm. When we were starting out, and certainly it doesn't infect whatever happened to Lagler lads, because we can watch those and think it's bloody long, isn't it? <laughs> so wordy. Yeah. But no, but then other people like Red say, it was great. Yeah. You didn't exactly. have to worry about it. it, it you haven't had a laugh for 90 seconds. We only got aware of that culture when we went to America, right. where you suddenly realized that every fourth line there yeah. was a laugh where's the laugh and on page one where's the laugh on page one was their right. mantra and we, we had never been used to writing like that and, uh, and we were not gag writers yeah. so I wasn't aware that that had infected teleculture here right till, but you're saying it did yeah, yeah. well yes, I think it, it certainly has now and I think that and again uh, so from my own experience so I love studio shows and I've written studio episodes of studio sitcoms um, but actually I did another show called Bluestone 4-2, which was about bomb disposal in Afghanistan. Um, and oh, that was so funny. Oh. Oh, my God. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I was joking. Uh, um, so, uh, no, no, it was a funny show. It was a concert. It was great. It was sort of mash, was, you know. Yeah, we, we, was... nixed, we, we, we nicked mash and cheers, basically. That's what it is. Great. Um, but I, I'd seen the edits many, many times. It wasn't filmed in front of an audience. So when it actually went out, I just watched Twitter... And it was so interesting to see the lines that people latched onto, the moments, the bits. It's like, wow, wow people really like that line or that line. Because we didn't have the studio audience feel of suddenly... Because right. you must have that bit where an audience just woofing laugh at a thing. You just think, oh, I suppose that is a joke. We'll, we'll take that. There's, all, there's, there's always one yeah. line that gets a laugh that you didn't expect. And there's always one that doesn't get a laugh that you were waiting for. You yes, know? exactly. And it's like, oh, and if, occasionally I just feel like standing up to the audience and just going, oh, come on! You know what I mean? <laughs> you laughed at that one and not this! What's you wrong people? with you? Yeah, yeah. I, I learned very quickly that, that sitting in the gallery... Mm you could kill a laugh by cutting too quickly. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that was a real revelation. You had to be, the, the vision mixer had to be, you know, poised to sort of not cut. The moment you cut, yeah. 
they say, oh, something else is coming, so we'll... we'll. And it's the reaction as well, as much as... It's yeah. not just... The, don't just show the funny person saying the line, show the person he's saying it to. The two-shot is really important. Yeah. And I worry that these skills are literally dying out because we're not making studio shows. Um, but, sorry, I don't want to get sort of, you know, too melan- melancholic no. about the sitcom. And also... No, actors, but actors are always, we're always nervous mm-hmm. about the telly audience. Mm-hmm. Ronnie Barker loved it, yeah. absolutely loved it, and he could just play them like a, you know, a, a great composer. Yeah. Uh, but but act- other actors would come in and final rehearsal, fantastic. Then on the way, you say, and the killer line just yeah. come in too quickly, yeah. just say, and because it was this hybrid art form. Yeah. Um, but what it but feels I, like you've got though at the start, and just watching those episodes, um, the two, the two. Um, Lost episodes refound is just how, particularly in the sixties and seventies, it feels like every show just breathes, and in in the co- and it felt very play like in it in a wonderful way, and so that at the end it feels satisfying and like it is greater than the sum total of the parts, whereas you watch an episode of Big Bang Theory, and you go, well, I can't fault those jokes, mm-hmm. and I can't fault those characters. But at the end of it, it's it's the cliche about the, the comedy cliche of a Chinese meal. You feel like you want you want you're still hungry twenty minutes later yeah. or something. Uh, it we, feels like there's a nourishing feel to that studio play like quality that you also got in you know with Johnny Spate's work and Galton and Simpson and all yeah. those sorts of shows that just feel like you've seen a bit of the human condition as well. And it's just it's yeah. We did a series with called Freddie and Max with Anne Bancroft. It was a big coup to persuade Anne Bancroft to come over here and do a show. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the scripts were good, actually. And, and she was wonderful. But she, she suddenly said, there's an audience. <laughs> and in hindsight, I think we wish we'd got rid of the audience, particularly as it was an audience in Teddington. And even though Teddington is the birthplace of Noel Coward, it was not as sophisticated an audience mm, as right. you used to have at Television Centre, to be, to be brutally honest. OK. okay. And, and, um, and You and can't it, get the audiences. <laughs> and you, 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 it really threw her. Right. And she was a nervous racehorse, you know. And she's a wonderful actress. And, and then the, the press got onto it because they got onto this, oh, this is the most expensive sitcom ever, is it? And so they basically folded their arms and, right. you know, and savaged it. And it's, it, it wasn't terrible, but, but the, the audience did not help that one. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about, we could talk about critics there, what have you learned about critics? <laughs> what, is, what can be usefully said about critics other than they've got to write something? <laughs> well, no, I just, we've had a, f- we've had pretty good reviews over the years uh, from critics. Clive James was particularly Clive nice. James. But then there's a new... Re- there's always a critic in, in, in cinema, television, or, or literature, mm. or art, who you, you can spot immediately. They're out to make a name for themselves. And the way they're going to do this is to be controversial and provocative and basically fucking rude. Mm. And I can spot them now. Yeah. Uh, should we mention names? Camilla, Camilla Long. Camilla. Okay. Oh. Camilla Long. Yeah, it started years ago. With, who was the girl who wrote, worked for the Melody Maker and wrote? The, uh, who Julie Birchall? Yeah, Julie Birchall. Right. Yeah. Started with her. It's like the yeah. Julie Birchall school. Now now yeah. she's like probably a national treasure now, which is I wouldn't fine. go that far. Well, right. <laughs> she ended up writing for Spectator magazine. You, and then you somehow. read, and then, but it, 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 it's just... You say, no, it doesn't matter what they say, but we've had a play on recently at the Soho Theatre. And you say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just one of the actors said, I'll never read them, never. But you can't help it. Yeah. You know, and there were really good reviews. So you like, the critics are good. And then, then one shitty one from the Times. Yeah. Yeah. And then you say, why did, why did I get sucked yeah. into this thing yeah. again? Yeah. And that one negative one stays with you, and the others you oh, forget. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's also, it follows you around. I remember from uh, my stand-up days that, you know, if I, if I had a show that was sort of quite successful, um, and, uh, you know, you, you sort of find these nice reviews and things, but the, all the other comics would always find the review, the one-star stinker reviews, and, and next time you'd see them and there'd be a look on the face, uh, and, you, and you'd know straight away and said, oh... What, has there been a really bad review or something? You don't want to know. You don't want to know. Gleefully tell you. Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> exactly. I love the way um, uh, Andy Zaltzman, I once heard, a very good stand-up comedian, 
Um, but I once heard him introduce himself backstage with his on-stage on thing going, uh, please welcome the comedian the Times described as grindingly mediocre, Andy Zaltzman! Is there any sort of embrace, embrace that review? Maybe that's the fifth review. review. It's like you've had four really good reviews, yeah. and then there's another guy whose column comes later. Yeah, and he's thinking, hmm, really? And he's looking for. They're just—they look—they're getting really so pleased with yeah. themselves now. I had one review as a director and directed a film for Handmade called Bullshot, which I'm very I fond of. Actually, film, yes, I like good. Bullshot, but it was—it was an out-and-out out outrageous comedy. And if you—if that's not your bag. That's fine. Yeah. Anyway, there was one review where it reviewed one film, two films, three films, four, and then right at the bottom of the column said, then there's something called bullshot, which is drivel. And the, all I could say was, well, at least he didn't say utter drivel. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the only crumb of comfort that I could, I could uh, pull out of there. you're enjoying this episode um, with comedy legends Clement and Lafrenet and we're so grateful for them for making time to speak to us. It came about as a result of the work of Tom Finney who has uh, set up this interview for us because he has been helping um, get these two lost episodes of The Likely Lads and the movie which has been completely redone and remastered for Blu-ray and um, if you want to get a hold of those which I heavily recommend I saw those two lost episodes and they were they were every bit as wonderful as you'd expect and had a really different rhythm to them as to, to sitcoms you get today but have that play-like quality which is so appealing I really do recommend getting hold of, of those and of course the movie go to networkonair.com networkonair.com or click a link in the show notes and you will see um, a little shortcut through to there. So do get hold of that. We're so grateful to Tom for setting this up. It was a bit of a, a wonderful moment for me to be able to you know, meet these sitcom legends and heroes of mine. So let's get back to that interview. You mentioned we, we've talked about porridge and we've talked about um, working in America. I, I, I'm curious to know because uh, you you moved to America around the time of uh, porridge and uh, and the the American version that you you, you did. And I'm just interested to know that the the American style of making sitcom versus the the, the British style. Were, were you kind of were you in a, like a big writers' room? Were you show? No. The funny thing was we had no experience of American television. Mm. We we wrote all the. 22 dozen episodes of the American version of Porridge Ourselves, which was kind of unheard of. The producer kept looking at us and uh, wondering how we did it. Of course, we had a drawer full of plots yeah. already. That well, we ran bit, out of them. We ran out of them, and then we had to write new ones. And then when we did the third series Porridge here, we, we had some of the American plots. That's really wicked. But we'd never had any experience. And so let's, from then on, we have never written a sitcom in America, we did a short one based on Billy Liar right. with an actor called Steve Gutenberg, but that was like six episodes. And then we'd never experienced the writers' room until Tracy, we did Tracy Takes On, uh, which we did for HBO for four years. Right, and it was a fabulous experience. Yeah, it was like we'd straight. been homeschooled for years, okay. and suddenly we were thrown into the playground. Right, okay. So there, there was only eight writers. And it turned out to seven. be terribly precocious. Dick and I and Tracy <laughs> were the main script editors, and it was a fantastic it was great fun. fun. So yeah. for four months every year, we knew we were going to have yeah. so much fun around this writer's table. Yeah. There was and a we, guy called Jerry Belson who was very... He was a famous writer. Very old. Uh, you know, long, he was older than all of us. And Jerry was not good at plots, particularly. And, but on the other hand, he could occasionally come up with the great line, mm. you know, which you basically put you away. Mm. And he was, he was wonderful to, to have around. Yeah. And the youngest, like the one who was, you know, the intern, yeah. was Genji Khan. Right. Who, of course, is now... Uh, Orange is the new black. Orange is the new black. She's now got an empire. Yes, she has. But that was such fun. Of course, Lovejoy eventually ended up with a writer's room. Because it just went on and on and on. Yeah. No, it just reads volume that you sort of just can't physically... As producers involved with two or three pilots, including the one we talked about, Birds of a Feather, 
uh, we've been involved with the network, yeah. but, but not as righteous. We haven't mm-hmm. had that experience after, yeah. after the American version of porridge. And you, you mentioned at this Q&A last night that, that you, you learned some lessons on that. Um, were there any in particular that, that the American version of porridge, that you, you made some mistakes or you made some, or you assumed things you shouldn't have done or what was there anything that sticks out really other than, you know? Well, you know, we never found a Ronnie Barker. Right. That was the, that was the truth of it. That was and, the biggest mistake. And and you, you know, we should you have, should you have kept looking or? Yeah. Okay. I think we should. Uh, but, I mean, the weird thing is, I mean, you know, uh, we kept it on the air for a whole season, which is extraordinary. There is a story here. At the end of it, they they hauled us in to say to talk about a second series. And right towards the end... Hold us implies that this is... Well, the, the, you're about right, to be told off. But no, no, yeah. not really. They, mm. they, they came to discuss it. Towards the end of it, uh, they they wanted to do a show with uh, Rita Moreno. So they, they said, can you write her into a, an episode of it's On like the Rocks? They call it a backdoor pilot. Yeah. 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 So in other words, she because she was Puerto Rican and our lead character was Puerto Rican, there's the excuse. She comes to see him. She's a relative. Then the rest of the show is about her. She was great. She was funny and energetic. And we said, if only our leading man had had the energy and, and uh, acumen of Rita Moreno. Guess what? A few days later, they said, we want to do a second series starring Rita Moreno. <laughs> now, how are you going to have Rita Moreno star in a series set in a men's prison? I mean, nobody gave that a second thought. Shrink. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. Well, you're saying we should have done it. Counselor. Uh, we should have yeah. done it. We'd have been rich. Yeah. But we, I mean, we didn't do it. I mean, we turned it down. We just said, it's too stupid. She's mm-hmm. in a series now, yeah. Rita Moreno. Which She's one? great. She's, She's in a great. big series in America. I can't remember that. The yeah. name of it. It's, um, I mean, God, there's so many things we want to talk about here. That uh, I just, just sort of thinking about that and and uh, all the things we talked about. Someone mentioned uh, last night they were sort of talking about a kind of golden period when you know whatever happens, like lads porridge, Alvida's own pet. They also they didn't mention as the commitments. The film was around that time, which you, which you, you well, that was know. afterwards. That was yeah, but but. Also, I just checked this morning. I noticed that um, is this true that you uh, you got the two Ronnies? Uh, you started the two Ronnies? No, is that? no. Oh right. No, oh, we have nothing to do with the two Ronnies. Okay, all right. They were well established. You see, when we met Ronnie Barker hmm. to write two episodes of a series called Seven of One, yeah, hmm. where he plays seven different characters, and and they're like seven mm. pilots one at least has got to end up in a series well in fact there were two because mm. he did um, open all hours and seven of one right. um, uh, we, we, we'd never met Ronnie and, and Ronnie so okay. we were excited you know we'd done what this first time we mm. were going to work with a big star and we met him mm. in the uh, canteen in Acton and d- discussed what we, you know the, what we were going to do mm. so no we'd have nothing to do with the two okay. Ronnies ever all right. I think mm. once we wrote a sketch in a two Ronnie's Christmas special, only because Ronnie asked us. And, and he also did, they did a, um, a show at the London Palladium. Was that it? We wrote something. We wrote, yes, we wrote a, a porridge sketch. For oh, that. that's right. Oh. We With wrote Sam a porridge Kelly. sketch to be in the okay. Christmas yeah. variety show. Right. right. And maybe we wrote one other sketch. I don't know. And it was years before but we that, ever that was met Ronnie Corbett. Because yeah. mm. uh, sketch writing is, is one of the ways in which loads of people have ended up. Um, writing company like David Renwick and um, John, uh, John Sullivan. Sullivan and you know and loads, Ronnie, of, yeah. loads of loads uh, of people have come through via the two Ronnies and and, and similar, mm. but um, but in a way it feels like you guys sort of went straight to the half hour. Yeah, we never except for the little yeah amateur cabaret stuff writing. Yeah, mm. we'd never never wrote sketches till we did Tracy's show. Yeah, we're huge fans of Mitchell and Webb. Right. Yes. You know. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, great, great, really great fans. Just great ideas, well executed. Just well, we right love things. that. Yeah, we, yeah. we we do when we we have a lecture reel. You know, if we do lectures, okay, which mm-hmm. is a lot of clips of our work from all yeah. films, everything. But we always talk to the audience about pitching. Yeah, which mm-hmm. is the worst part of our job, but okay. the most essential and the most commonplace. Yeah, and we 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 show that. Um, that was a brilliant pitch, sketch. Brilliant. Where, not the one with Robert not this. Bisley. That's it. Yeah. Not this. Not this. Not this. The best. My favourite line in that sketch. I'm, I'm slightly obsessed with that sketch. My favourite line is where he just goes, 
I am making sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's a suddenly bit of a, there's a bit of daylight comes in at that point. Yeah. It's, yeah. Wonderful. It's, it's, a, wonderful. it's an it's incredible, a br- a brilliant sketch. Yes, yeah. right, that, right, that, or <laughs> don't, or don't. <laughs> and is it the, is there a sketch of the one about the br- the spray? It's not rocket science. Yeah, uh, yes, oh, I yes. Think it, I yeah, think yeah, that would be that's a brilliant. That's a brilliant. Sketch. Yeah, no, they wonderful. They, they're really, um, and uh, I, I believe they would happily do more. Uh, sketch shows for the BBC for BBC Two and BBC said no thanks no incredible yeah Mm. Yeah. I think everyone involved with that show would love to do more and um, oh that's terrible and it just feels like and so I think my worry is for sitcom especially studio sitcom mainstream sitcom that everyone likes I think it requires actors like Ronnie Barker who've come through theatre and it and and play you know playwrights and people like that so there's there's the theatre route and then there's the sketch comedy, sketch actor route and the sketch writing route. And all of these things sort of converge to create sitcoms. It just feels like we've just killed off two pathways because rep theatre's sort of gone, really, hasn't it? And, and the sketch shows now, I mean, Tracy Ullman's got remember, a sketch show on BBC Remember one, reviews. Hmm. Yeah. Because Dick and I, when we first As in met... As Yeah, yeah. when we first yeah. met in London in the 60s... The, Shaftesbury had reviews, mm-hmm. and Dick and I used to think, well, well now you get a sketch yeah. in yeah. a review, and yeah. then suddenly the satire boom started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Dick and I said, oh, I wonder if we can get a sketch in the establishment. Yeah. Yeah. And so we went to the establishment club. Yeah. We went early so we could get in. If we'd gone later, we'd yeah. have never been yeah, like no, be all beautiful girls yeah. and yeah. black stockings. And, and so we went early and just to suss it out. And we met a guy at the bar and he said, what are you doing? And he said, well, we were trying to play some sketches. And he said, yes, me too, but they're letting me perform mine. Right. So we went in the next room to watch them and, and then it was David Frost. <laughs> yeah, and then he... Um, he wasn't very good. <laughs> no, he wasn't very no, good. He was, no, he was, no, he wasn't very good at all. He hadn't but, discovered David but, Frost But we never, yeah. got, uh, we never got a sketch in the establishment. Yeah, and we'd it? heard they're crying out for writers. Oh, yes, they were. They're crying out for writers. They're still saying yeah. that. They yeah. still say that. What they're saying at the moment, and this is, it, it sort of feels like it's kind of coming full circle. I think what happened, what's happened over the last 30 years or so is that instead of the, the, the rep and, and that, that sort of route, the, the, the stand-up route has become the way. So you, get, you have more uh, performers who are very good at writing and playing them, a version of themselves, which was a kind of very much a kind of one-off thing back in the 70s. You have sort of Faulty Towers or uh, um, Peter Tilbury did a show as well. But ge- generally, it was writers and performers Whereas very much right performance is the thing at the moment. But they are, the BBC always say, in fact, all the commissioning editors of the last year have been saying, we're looking for, uh, we're, we're really interested in comedy drama. Uh, and we're much more interested in that. And, uh, and here's we, the problem. We, we're thinking, like, if, 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 you know, what, who, what, who are the... Who, what the hell is a comedy drama? Yeah. Because I ended up, through a series of odd administrative errors, I can only assume, um, hosting a session at the BBC Writers Festival in Stratford last year and I had the head of comedy at BBC One at the BBC at ITV at Channel 4 and Sky and somebody asked what's a comedy drama and they've already said that they want comedy dramas nobody knew what comedy drama was would you say that Alfie Zempet was a comedy drama I think I probably would no the first time I ever heard the expression comedy drama was in relation to to Alfie Zempet we didn't coin it. We did yeah. not but, set but out to write a comedy. Said, critics said that. comedy drama. Yeah. Right. That's the first time I'd ever heard that expression. But you set out to write a drama, not a comedy. Yeah, you set out did. to write a drama. We did. I mean, we felt liberated from not having to have a gag on page one. You yeah. Know? I mean, yeah. we and we and it, we were it, it liberated us to be serious if we wanted to yeah. be. But obviously, you, you always want everything you write to contain humour because life contains humour yeah. you know, and I love it but also particularly those sorts of characters mm-hmm. it's just I, yeah. mean, but I think about whatever happened to The Likely Lads which is a show that's performed in front of an audience and it was a, a bold you know, it's a bold show there was a, there's a lot of very serious uh, parts to that and that, that that to me is also that that it's hard to call that a comedy drama because you've got an audience laughing in the background but that, to me, feels like comedy drama. A lot of what's coming out now is just, uh, sounds semantic, but 
true, but you're getting a lot of drama comedy now, I think. And, and the drama comedy has a budget of the drama, yeah. whereas comedy drama doesn't have budgets. But they're all saying, we want comedy drama. I mean, on the one hand, comedy drama is about a character going through a process and learning from their mistakes. Comedy, they don't learn. And, and it feels like there's a sort of contradiction there that it's very hard to have. I mean, you, I, I think so much of what you've done is what I would call comedy drama. How, how well, I think so. do you square Co- that I just, circle? I used to just assume comedy drama was an hour show right, <laughs> as opposed right. to a half hour show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's what's, as good a, What's a comedy drama? About an hour? <laughs> About an hour. That's it. Perfect reply. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. That's it. <laughs> I think, uh, frustratingly, I think it is as arbitrary as that, isn't it, really? It tends to yeah. run for longer. You don't have to have, you know, you've got a chance for a bit more of a journey. Yeah. Um, comedy yeah. drama. But, uh, and the answers to um, Lovejoy is a comedy drama. Mm. Which? Lovejoy is a Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Described as a comedy drama. Yeah. Full yeah. Stretch was a comedy yeah. drama. Not that yeah. anyone knows that when yeah. he did six hours, he said bitterly. <laughs> well, I didn't <laughs> re- later. I, I hadn't remembered it, but then when you described it and you told, told the story about the David Bowie being stuck in a, a limo, yeah. and, I, and that, 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 I had a sort of vague memory of, the, of, of that show. Yeah. Yeah. Once you'd said that, I hadn't remembered when he said the title. But So, the ben- um, yeah, for the yeah. benefit of the listener, um, there was discussion last night about a show that you wrote for ITV, which then did one series one series and then it called Full Stretch yes. about a stretch uh, about a limo company and there was an episode where David Bowie falls asleep in the back of one and gets towed away which sounds extremely <laughs> well it was well established yeah, yeah. yeah because they said uh, David's been in the studio all night he's yeah. exhausted so yeah. please get him to the tell yeah. so David was a very good sport and did yeah. the show David fell asleep and then the the driver nicked off to do something yeah. which had been planned earlier, yeah. and the limo was towed. Lovely. So, but 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 no, the limo driver, the tow man, didn't yeah. know David Bowie's in the back because yeah. tinted windows. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it's oh, lovely, very clever. The old stretch limo. Yeah, yeah. but um, what I was interested by is, in one sense, it's it's probably heartening for writers listening to this show to know that you guys get kicked in the teeth sometimes. Oh gosh, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And what what we try to say a lot on this show is actually failure is normal. And it's actually success is the is the anomaly normally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, when I describe my job to my kids, for example, I basically or people who don't work in the industry, I say my job is being told that what I've written is basically not good enough. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much the general. Until eventually we run out of time and we film it, and that's then it's too late. And then critics can tell me it wasn't good enough, and that's that's fine. We had one note uh, from an executive when we turned in a script in America, and they said, uh, "We are in a blue suit." You have delivered a blue suit. <laughs> However, what we now realise is that what we need is a brown suit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I so, get it. Right, we've never forgotten that that's one. Right. That's, yeah, but you know, you're talking about failure and success. Um, everyone assumes that we were just new success, that we had this great run, likely lads, mm. a couple of hit movies, Oddly, yeah. then whatever, porridge. But no, no, no. After... The Likely Lads, the end of the 60s, we did a series, which mm. was... Which was uh, With Harry H. Corbin. ...abject failure. Right. With Harry Corbin, Mr. H. Oh, right. And yeah. we were writing it, and we thought, these are good scripts. Everyone thought so. And, and it just nothing worked. And then we found out that the producer had called Gordon and Simpson. Right. And said, can you come in? We felt this high. Yeah. And they came in, and they wrote two scripts... We and, read them. and we read them and said, oh, yes, they are good. <laughs> and then they did the shows and they were fucking awful as well. Ah, so right. we felt, oh my God, it's like if you and God were <laughs> you know, Ray, yeah. Alan, yeah, yeah. welcome to the club. But it's in fate, you learn as much from you failure learn. as you do from success. Yes, and you yeah. really do. Well, actually, hard, success is hard to learn from because you don't, you don't quite know why you succeeded, <laughs> yeah. but failure is... Well, you're, 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 you may be arrogant enough to think, oh, it's easy and I can do it. And yeah. certainly, you know, yeah. it's and, and you probably did, you know, it's whatever, whatever the, the, the fates are that make something a, more of a success than something else. And, and you think, oh, and people say to you, well, what did you do? And we interview, and, and there's Pommy, who Archer pointed out, mm. the vicar of Dibley, um, who says, um, there's a, there's a lot of retrospective answering where you say, well, we did this and then this, this we got this great casting and then this happened and it all came together and you sort of build you build this kind of uh, thing of like, oh, that's that's how you get success. 
therefore the next time it will be and of course every every situation is is completely different mm. um and we forget that the because presumably you guys must have been interviewed for countless documentaries about likely lads and porridge and those sorts of things there was one series called comedy connections which i think was really good at showing sort of flow diagrams from this show to that show yeah to this it was show to that very show. good that yeah. comedy connections and what it did particularly i thought was very uh, uh, clever was just so that this director had seen this actor in this sitcom that you've never heard of because it wasn't any good but um, it was a great but show there, there was something in but yeah. and so in a sense you see that this um, that this sh- show that we just thought was a retrospective everyone always knew this was going to be a hit was not not that the case and it was built on the failure of three other shows and two other successful shows because they got sure. the right to do and again I just I worry that we don't we're not really making much especially studio comedy because we, we don't tolerate failure and so now you just go well how are we going to how are we going to learn it? Yeah, there's no, there's no tor- a failure at all. And, and just some numbers, there's a wobbly, and yeah. that's it. Yeah. By the way, that was a very good show, Comedy Connections. Mm. Uh, I think it was inspired by Rock Family Trees. Oh, okay. Did you yeah. ever see that? Yeah. Yes. That yeah. was a brilliant show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And we, we aren't, we've been on a couple of mm. Comedy Connections. Because, I should think so. You know, yeah. <laughs> well, there was one about Beckinsale, there was Rising Down, yeah, and yeah. how yeah. it's all the DNA of uh, yeah. how yeah. from start. Very good. But yeah. uh, just, just to come back to what you were saying about you were given, uh, you, we, you've given us a blue suit, but we realise we want a brown suit, <laughs> and that's, which is a great, uh, r- reminds me of that, that session that James was talking about with, the, with these comedy commissioners, the most powerful comedy, comedy people in TV. And the answers to the question that they often gave, what do you mean by comedy drama, that were along the lines of... Uh, well, it's what what you want it to be, or uh, and the thing you mentioned mm. as well is surprise us, and it that basically they they wouldn't, uh, and maybe they they couldn't, you know, kind of pin down uh, what what they thought it would be. They, they basically the answer say, was I don't know, uh, yeah. but they're paid too much money to say yeah. I don't know because yes. yeah. they're paying paying all this money because they're meant to know. Yeah. And how could they know? We all know they don't know. How could they know? Yeah. If they knew, they, they, they write it themselves. Jonathan Coe had a line like that in his new book, Merry England, you know, oh, about yeah. uh, the British people were asked to vote and they have given a resoundingly clear answer, which is, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good joke. Yeah, yeah no, it's yeah. good. No, I need, yeah. to, need to catch up with it. I haven't read the, I haven't read the second one yet. Right. Um, Middle England is the new one. Yes, yeah. that's right, yes. Yeah. So Rotter Club is the first one. The second um, one is... Uh, I forget the title of the second yeah. one. No, oh, I haven't read that oh, one either. Uh, it's called full, The Full Circle of the... Right. Something sick. We did the Rutgers Club. Yes, yeah, no, I know. It's very, and I now feel I can go and watch it, having read the book. I yeah. Of, yeah, we loved it, yes. the Rutgers Club. It was a, a great experience. Well, what was funny about that, when we interviewed uh, Jonathan for this podcast about that, where he basically talked, talked at length about how much he uh, was influenced by your work, how when he received the scripts that you'd written based on his books, mm. he just thought, oh, I thought, there'd be, I thought there'd be more jokes in it. <laughs> I thought it would be... And actually, and you said, well, the, the books are funny. We've just, yeah. done, we've just done your jokes, as it were. And then I think at that point, the penny dropped that his writing was actually very heavily influenced by your writing. And that basically, you were rewriting your own jokes that he, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? It felt like you'd just gone, gone yeah. back into this sort of feedback loop, um, but vir- or virtuous cycle, uh, I think. Yeah. He did, the biggest compliment we got from Jonathan was we changed something. Well, we changed a lot of things. Mm. Yeah. But there was one, we, we came up with a particular moment. Yeah. And he said, oh, I wish I'd thought of that. Uh, yeah. said, we said, you can put it in the paperback. <laughs> it's not too late. <laughs> it's, not too, yeah. it's never too late. Um, we should probably wrap up soon. Do we have yeah, any we questions have, from our we, Patreon subscribers? Is there any, any quick, yeah, quick fire ones? questions uh, that uh, are... The reason we're here, of course, is because of the discovery yes. yeah. of two missing likely lads, yes. which have been put on a CD with a right. restored 
Blu-ray version of the film. Yeah, no, it's very exciting. By Blue Dove, and you see, I got the commercial. Yeah. You got it in there, and we will. Network. And once network, yes, yeah. and we will, we will, we will speak at length about that um, uh, yeah. when when you have. Before uh, we moved come on. to our patrons, I'd like to mention that uh, Aaron Brown, of British Comedy Guide, who interviewed you uh, yesterday, he saw. Oh, Aaron, yeah, yes, he saw the movie uh, last night, and we we haven't seen it yet. We're uh, looking forward to that. He he's seen every sitcom that's ever been made. He know he is basically the walking encyclopedia he is the ultimate sitcom sitcom. Uh, he said he thought it was the best uh, adaptation of a sitcom to a movie um, that that, that, that he'd seen he said solid laughter throughout holds up very well Um, he said the one the one problem it had was that uh, the audience missed occasional bits of dialogue because they were laughing so much which is a a very nice nice problem very unprofessional we didn't we weren't up against a lot if you this is the category of adaptations of television series to the big screen well except how many were there on the buses on the buses porridge uh, Rising Damp there was a movie I remember the Rising Damp oh yeah we were up against good things yeah yeah, yeah, I've absolutely. forgotten that I'd seen that. Oh, and recently, it? Dad's Army. Yes, yes. Dad's Army. That was yeah. terrible. The in betweeners. Dad's yeah. Army was terrible. In betweeners were. I couldn't watch it because I had a feeling, and I just. Hmm? The steptoe with the greyhound. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Except the, 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 the was the lovers men It's a real it's circle. Yeah. It's hard to square that circle though, because sitcoms and movies are fundamentally different. They yes. are oil and water. Yeah. How do you square that circle? Because you're you have to have an epiphany in a film and be changed by it forever. How do you how do you do that without wrecking? I've got an answer. Great. Good. <laughs> well, f- as far as we were concerned, mm. people say, "Did you ever consider doing a third series of whatever?" And I said, said, "The film is the third series." Right. right. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah. You well, that's a, that, that yeah. is a great way of doing it, because in a way you can just wrap it up and move them on in a way. Well, that, people said yeah. it's, it's, it's underpinned with a lot of melancholy mm. yeah. and nostalgia mm. because, because there's a disenchantment in it, certainly yeah. for Bob. And so therefore, you, that, that's mm. glibly, that is the third yeah. series. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan. So it has some organic development. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan last night said to me, he said it was the bleakest ending of a, of a movie, <laughs> of a comedy movie. <laughs> <laughs> Two quick last questions quick from time. there, and then we'll. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, so uh, we have um, uh, Eleanor Haywood uh, said that if you had the opportunity uh, to write an episode for a classic TV comedy show that wasn't created by you, uh, what show. Oh, what a good question. What show would you would love to have what written? What a good question. I'm thinking hard. Um, or a, a sitcom that you watched, you just thought, oh, blimey, I wish we'd written I could that. write one of those. Yeah. Well, because of. Because of the captive situation yeah. and those great characters, I would say a rising damp. Okay. All right. Yeah. It is an absolute Rolls Royce of a show, isn't it? It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Forty Towers. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But it would be daunting. Absolutely. Because yeah. um, you know those plots are so great. Yeah, but I mean, Forty yeah, Towers you is. You can do that one on your own. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, BBC yeah. commissioners. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to remake or uh, do episodes of Rising Damp yeah. or Faulty Towers, we have some uh, young, uh, keen writers who might be interested yeah. in, in doing that for you. Here's a quick, I've got a quick fire one is, um, we have asked lots of writers whether they enjoy writing or enjoy having written. Oh, having written, no okay. question about it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, the, the process, you know, can, can be, it's work. It's, yeah. Uh, so I, I always say I love having written, and, okay. and yeah. even better, the praise. <laughs> <laughs> if you get praise, that's the yeah. best bit. You okay, know, that's yeah. definitely the best. Are bit. you the same on that, or you do? You no, enjoy I would the... think no. Yeah, having written, but yeah. when I say having written, I would think not. It's before a release. Yeah. Obviously, a call sheet whispering under your yeah. hotel bedroom door is the mm. best feeling in the world. Mm. Yeah. But I think when we, um, when we started writing, you know, when we were in computers. You'd write it in all yeah. sorts of long, and then an agency would type it out. Right. So when that first draft came back, print, okay. it, it had gained such authority. Okay. <laughs> that was always the best. Well, yeah. equi- so to me, it's still the equivalent of reading the first draft, printing yeah. it out. It, there it is, 100 pages done. Yeah. Gone, it goes to our agency, who print it out, put it in a nice hardcover, comes back, and then there'll be many changes. But yeah. that's, that's a good I always used to think, too, that. When you uh, added a line, 
to a script that was printed and it's penciled in, very often the actor gave you a penciled in reading as opposed to a typewritten <laughs> reading. You know right. what I mean? It wasn't still quite authentic, you know, right, okay. because they hadn't seen it in, in print. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, interesting, yeah. yeah. Um, I'd like to ask, because um, we, we haven't even touched on uh, Alvida's own pet, which is you know, such a great, great show, but Mike Cooper, so he says, uh, thanks for Porridge and Alvida's own pet, two of my favourite shows of all times. How much uh, did Gary Holton's death affect series two uh, in terms of, the, for the rest of the cast, obviously, and but for yourself in terms of rewrites and ha ha the, the, the process of that show from series one to series two. It was well. It was it was a devastating situation because obviously the cast were they had to deal with it on a day to day basis, which mm. we we didn't. Right. But um, but it was yeah. I mean, we were even mm. certain scenes for certain episodes had been shot with Gary in it, and then they had to shoot with a double. Um, you know, to get the reverse oh. shot or things like that. I mean, right. which reminded the the cast all the time of what an awful yeah. situation it was. No, it was mm. it was traumatic for, it was for everybody. It was mm. late in the series, right? So it wasn't as catastrophic mm. as if it had been episode six. Right. And Vic said, but there were these awkward shots with the standing. For the cast, it was quite awful. Yeah. Because they were still working. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Gary was not there. It was very hard. Yeah. And presumably in the sort of the, the, the glow of, because I remember when it came out, it was an instant hit and um, was massively, massively popular. And it must have been for the cast. It must have been just a great, they were still at that phase of, you know, hey, and it's such a team show. Yeah. Uh, but as I say, it was late in the second series. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Awful. Awful. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for being, for being here uh, with us. I can't let you go without saying how much my dad, particularly, and I, because partly because of him, adores porridge and never tires of watching it. He is obsessed with Mr. Mackay, um, and especially the way he does that thing with his neck. Yeah. And I'm sure he would be very happy to hear me pass that on. Can I also uh, just you. mention, was one, one last thing was that you talked a lot about the importance of uh, names. Oh, yeah. Terms, and you talked about uh, Mr. Barraclough um, and, and that, that name. And as you were talking about that, James uh, whispered in my ear, Godba. Yeah, where did you name Godba from? He, was, he used to cut our hair. Oh, really? Yeah. He's a guy, yeah. um, Denny Godba. Yeah, Denny Godba. Denny so Godba became, became Lenny Godba. We only changed yeah. one, one, one <laughs> okay. consonant. Yeah. Uh, it's such a distinctive name, yeah. isn't it? It's almost yeah. like when... There was there been one or two of your bank managers from South Oh, yes, Bill Treadaway. Treadaway, Oxlade. But the second one was, was Tony Oxlade. So the, the, these were bank managers in, in uh, West Livonsea. <laughs> and so something about Treadaway and Oxlade sounds wonderful as a, as a, a firm of solicitors. But I think we made the Governor of Slade, uh, Governor Treadaway, didn't we? I yeah. Think. It's, a great, it's a great name again. Yeah. I, get it, I, got, I remember suggesting... In the first like letters, I had a school photograph. Oh, yeah. it was either school or it was the rugby team. Okay, and, he, and the names. Yeah, of, of classmates. Yeah, and so people years later. Oh, this is so sad and so funny. Maybe he's listening. <laughs> there was a guy I was at school with, not not at school with, but very early infancy. Then I went yeah. to a posh school and he went to a less posh school. Yeah, called Derek Addy, and we used his name in something. Yeah, we did. And we got a letter from him saying something. Then we used his name again. And he was always nice, Mr. Addy, the nice part. And then in Lovejoy, we made him a, a nasty guy. <laughs> and I was in Newcastle in the United and I, I, I remember he worked in a department store. And I walked through it, and I met him, and he was so pleased. And he said, you know, um, the, you writing my name in all your different yeah. works has been the highlight of my life. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Derek, you, you know you didn't mean that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, yeah. I, but yeah, it's something, isn't it? It is something, isn't it? Sorry. Thank you. You've been the highlights oh, of many of our lives um, as mm. well for your work, and um, mm. we are very grateful. We will um, we will put links to the Likely Lads uh, uh, DVD, Blu-ray, everything. It's beautiful mm. and funny and wonderful, and every bit um, as brilliant as as all of your uh, other work as well. So thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, for giving guys. of yourself. It's really been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Well, there we go. That was our interview with the greats. Um, and it was great fun, wasn't yeah, it? I it really was. enjoyed it. It was. It was truly inspiring. And uh, they are great. And they, they, they're still, it sounds like, they're, you know, they're still f- fresh and still enthusiastic about comedy. You know, 50-odd, 55 years since they first started writing together which is amazing really it is incredible we we didn't unfortunately have time we've had another half an hour i think we would have i would love to have asked them which one of you types and which one stares out the window (laughs) yeah um and all those sorts of questions because it is like being in a marriage isn't it as well that 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 i mean they they they've known each other for absolutely decades yeah but uh, they're they're very easy in each other's Mm. company as well it's amazing that they that that's still the case after all that time yes um but they um also, apologies, we didn't get to uh, ask, uh, we ran out of time, we weren't able to ask all the questions that you asked, but thanks very much for your questions, yes. Patreon subscribers. Yes, so we, we, we tipped off our Patreon subscribers that we were interviewing these guys, and we, we tipped them a wink and said, can you ask, you know, you can get in touch, and uh, we'll try and ask you some questions. And we did ask uh, one or two of them, uh, maybe two or three of them, in fact. Um, but there are lots of other benefits to being a Patreon subscriber, including access to our new series called Sitcom Soup to Nuts, in which we are going through. We are creating a sitcom before your very ears um, from the basic idea to hopefully, in the long run, the execution of, of the sitcom. Um, so do join us on Patreon for that. Plus, we do first 10 pages. Um, so you can send us the first 10 pages of your script and we'll do a little mini Patreon-only podcast just for that script if you are a subscriber at a certain level, plus copies of our books and um, sneak previews and longer versions. So the Paul Mayhew Archer interview, which is lots of people have really liked, there's a whole extra half hour of that uh, for Patreon yeah. subscribers. And we've still got uh, we've got an interview with Gareth Edwards, of course, the uh, producer of Mitchell and Webb, uh, Upstart Crow, and um, Spaced, of course, the yeah. legendary Spaced sitcom. So uh, that's that's still to we. Uh, that's, that's still there in the archive now, yeah. yes which, which so the so yeah lots of there's there's hours and hours of content of audio content for patreon subscribers anyway um that's probably enough for for one podcast thanks very much for listening thank you speak to you next time bye bye bye